exclusively on Facebook Live, brought to you by Night and Minutes. Today is Friday, June 14th, 2019. My name is Juan Pimiento, well arrested. I guess not 10, yeah. but Shanks, that was kind of the point of, of me leaving. But yeah, I was, uh, I was hitting the town. Yeah. Uh, shout out to everybody uh, in Miami. Had a great time. And now we're back. Andrew Hattersley in the house. Ernesto Hernandez, uh, no Lawrence. Yeah, no, no Lawrence, Lawrence today. he's still... On a little Barcelona hangover. It's been a while, man. He, yeah. needs, he needs to get over there, like, already. Uh, but we're here, and it's going to be a very, uh, I guess, patriotic, American, American show today. We're going to talk both national teams, of course, as the Women's World Cup is underway. We've already had at least uh, one game for every team in the World Cup, including the U.S. We'll get to that in a second. We'll talk also men's national team, because the Gold Cup is starting tomorrow. Tomorrow. So the uh, the summer of uh, international soccer, we had the Nations League final last week, which uh, Portugal ended up taking away, shamefully for uh, the Dutch. That would have been nice. Copa America starting today, hence you know the uh, the get up. You gotta gotta support my team tomorrow, Argentina, five o'clock. Uh, but we'll start with the good old Chicago Fire, boy. Oh boy, <laughs> just when you thought you were gonna get a nice long break after the loss to Atlanta United on Saturday. After the Champions League final, no games until the 22nd. We had the draw of the Open Cup, which resulted in the, the fire facing St. Louis FC, a uh, second division USL championship side, on Tuesday night. And man, was this uh, newsworthy? I'll put it that way. Or what? Uh, of course, for those who don't know, St. Louis FC upset the Chicago Fire, who became the first team of two. First MLS team to uh, lose to a lower division team. The first uh, cup set, if you will, of this tournament. Uh, two to one. Again, Tuesday night in St. Louis. A game which was originally scheduled to be at their home stadium. It was moved because of, uh, of flooding. And um, we had a lineup with uh, Chicago Fire full of mostly starters. We had Georgie Mihailovic back after his um, few minutes with the national team against Jamaica. I mean... Everybody who is everybody who is not basically on international duty already, like Alex Katai, like Shimislav Frankowski, like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Francisco Calvo, and Bastian Schweinsteiger, who was arrested, played. I mean, this was the best lineup the Fire could have played. And two to one. Uh, and it got ugly pretty quickly after a pretty hot start by the Fire, of course, two goals in a matter of four minutes, Ernesto. And that was it. Uh, Incredibly to me, it looked like every MLS game for the fire, pretty much. Controlling the ball, frustrated, failing to break down the defense, except uh, this is a second division side. This is a USL team. Uh, your thoughts on this? Oh, where to, where to start with this? Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, it, it looked like every fire game we've seen this season. Uh, even more embarrassing this time again because of the opponent. 
there's no excuse for for their performance. They had pretty much everyone available play uh, up front. You, they had Nikolic, they had Gaetan, Sapong, Herbers, and yeah, they 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 looked disinterested. And at the end of the game, you could tell that frustration was was setting in. Uh, we had those unfortunate scenes between uh, Georgi Mihailovic and mm. the fans. There was a bit of a verbal altercation. At this point, what is where do they where do they go from here and what do they do to fix the problems? Because Panovic came out post game saying pretty much what he said all season on games they've lost that they dominated, that they created chances, arguable in this case, and mm. pretty much that they have that they have time to fix things. But if you keep saying that after every loss where the mistakes are the same, that you have time to fix this, at some point if you can't fix it, maybe it's time for someone else to step in it and and take charge because. I don't agree that they have time. We're almost at the half point of the season. They're already out of the of the cup, and they're out of playoff contention right now. Uh, taking a look at the roster, it's better than last season. With seven out of the twelve teams in the Eastern Conference making the playoffs, if they don't make it, it's a, it's a huge disappointment, and it may be time for changes. Yeah, we were kind of talking off the air that, and, and yeah, now we're just kind of looking ahead. Uh, that if. Yeah, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, I, I would say it's an even bigger failure than last year. Yeah. Because last year, you, of course, had, you know, the, the, the caveat of look at the roster. And it wasn't a playoff caliber roster. This season, though, there's no excuse at all. I mean, barring, like, just, like, an incredible, like, rash of injuries or just, like, something catastrophic, there's no excuse. Uh, but, Andrew, I think, you know, in the immediate future... What is this loss? And again, the caliber of the loss, the opponent, the fact that the cup was perhaps the uh, the easier route, on quote unquote, to to a title, which they haven't had in 13 years, and this is the way they end up failing out of this cup, one and done against the USL side. I think it puts the heat squarely on. Like Ernesto said, it like it's it's flat out playoffs loss for me. Because you have seven of eleven, seven of twelve teams make the playoffs. Two, when you look at just just look at this last three weeks, right, or last two weeks, the way they went into this international break with the ugly loss to Atlanta United, mm-hmm. the international break was supposed to be a chance for you to reset mentally and physically. And yes, you had a U.S. Open Cup game, but the point was. To kind of come out of this break, you've you've just played a couple tough road games, reset, and no, you're you're hitting an important stretch where you need to play well because we've talked over and over with this team about you've dropped points you shouldn't drop against teams that you know you should be getting three points you're getting one point or games you've dominated where you're not scoring goals and to me it's 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 almost enough is enough when you when you look at missed opportunities and it's, it's not enough to dominate a game. You don't dominate a game and continue to lose over and over and over again. To me, they need to look long and hard at, at themselves and, and figure it out because time is, they don't have a lot of time. No. They really don't. I mean, if, if they don't come out of the break, well, this mm-hmm. season has a chance to go sideways, just like it did last year. And uh, speaking of changes, that's something that even, uh, Coach Volkopanovic referenced afterwards, after the game, when he said, and I quote, it's time for us to also make decisions and move forward. What are we talking about here? What kind of decisions 
are we talking about? Because from his standpoint, I mean, what else, what else can he do? What else should he do? Because obviously all the heat, like Ernesto alluded to, is on, on Panovich. It's on him. I mean, if you looked at the reaction afterwards, and we got a couple of, of tweets uh, yesterday when, when we announced today's show, and it was all about Pano and Pano and Pano and his future and why, you know, should, is he the man the, to coach this team moving forward? What's his future? Should it be the future? And he, say, you know, he says this after the game, and we've heard before from Panovic talking about publicly changes and, you know, my, my players are going to hear from me and it's not going to, it's going to be ugly. And it's almost like he's becoming, it's just becoming deaf, like he's falling on deaf ears now. Uh, he, his, his words are just becoming repetitive and don't have much of an effect. At this point, it, it, what changes could he make? I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like uh, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, at least that's how the season seems to be going. I don't know if, if he means that he's considering his own future. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's been told anything by the club after the loss or, or what have you, but it, it does kind of sound like the words of a, of a man who's reaching his limit. Like he doesn't, Not that he doesn't know what to do, but he's having a hard time trying to come up with a solution because he just keeps seeing the same thing over and over. I think to me they... They've tried a lot of different things, and now it's time to to look back at they've tried a bunch of different lineups, a bunch of different formations. It's time to kind of look back at where you are at this point and find out, okay, what lineup can I actually depend on? Is it a lineup? Because I feel like the last couple of weeks, you've looked at specifically two positions. We've looked at Cronholm, obviously, is right now the future in, in goal. Mm-hmm. But you look at the other position, he... Towards the end of the first half, he tinkered with taking out Nikolic and moving Sapong up front, or sometimes it was Katai up there. I almost wonder if that might be like the one change you make because I feel like they just continue to create chances, but they can't finish opportunities, and it may be time to try somebody else up front. Mm-hmm. What else do you have to lose? I mean, you you have to try something, or there's it's there's gonna it's just gonna go sideways. So what else can you do? Right. You know, like what else can you do? And again, last year I I, I gave him specifically yeah. the benefit of the doubt of the roster. It's like, what can you really do? This year, though, and we said it like from the start, it's yeah. it's it's on it's really on, on on Panovich. It really falls on him because the players are there. Eventually, Nico Gaetan came in, and he's been, of course, the difference maker. I think that they hope, and that the fans hope he would be. Francisco Calvo's proven to be a fantastic signing, in my opinion, and, and the, really the defender that they didn't have last year. And that's from up top. That's from Nelson Rodriguez. He delivered them. But on the field, again, like you guys were mentioning, it's still, it's still the same inconsistency. It's still the same, the same issues. I feel like we've been saying the same things now for the last almost year and a half. And that falls on the coach. And I'll, I'll say this too, like, you know, personally, like I'm, I'm not one to come out here publicly or to write that someone should be fired because I, for one, I know that feeling. I, it's pretty awful. And I, and I don't think anyone should call for people to lose their jobs. And he's been very nice to me, the interactions we've had. But at the same time, again, when you analyze this from afar, objectively, 
it's on him. Like yeah. this season, the way it's been going, it's he. I think you know it's becoming more and more. Ponovich is the number one culprit, and when you look at the decisions and the decisions he's talking about, yeah, I mean, could he be you know decisions for himself? Because what else can you do roster wise besides you know get you a pair of of fullbacks uh, for one? Because I look at this team and like everywhere else, they should be a lot better. And and you know people can spin it and say, oh, expected goals. Look at this, but expected goals don't win your games. Goals win your games, and you win games by outscoring your opponent. And this team is not capable of, despite having Nemanja Nikolic, goal the boom winner, Nico Gaetan, uh, international with Argentina, a former Atlético Madrid player, Benfica player. Alex Katai, who has been the best player of this team so far this year. CJ Sapong, proven goal scorer in this, in, uh, in this league. And it's the same problems. And it's not just the goal scoring, but the defense as well. And we saw this uh, in Resto on Tuesday, with, specifically with the fullbacks. The two goals, well, especially the first one, from one end to the other, it was the fullbacks. See, that, that's, where, that's where I'll defend Panovic a little bit. Because going into the season, you knew that the fullbacks was a key uh, area that they needed to address once they lost uh, Brandon Vincent to retirement and they failed to re-sign Matt Polster. It wasn't addressed, so Ponovich had to tinker. At with, least properly. Yeah, yeah. Th- with um, Campos, who is, is not a fullback. Mm-hmm. With Corrales, who has his ups and downs. What I find interesting is that the winning streak was the one thing that was stressed. Mm-hmm. That the winning streak would, you know, put the team on the right path. But what's weird to me is he went away from the, that lineup that won those two games. Uh, with, what was it, uh, Calvo, Kapelhoff, and Schweinsteiger at the back. Frankowski and Corrales a bit up front. Mm-hmm. It seems like with the return of Edwards, he kind of went back to, like, old ways. And we've seen that cost him a bit. So that's, 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 to me, that's a, a bit of a defense for Ponovich because, again, those needs were, weren't addressed. But at the same time, you, get, you have that old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. So maybe one thing he can do is maybe go back to that lineup in one of those two games. And it's something that, Andrew, like when, um, when you talk about Ponovich and people talk about Ponovich, it's kind of like one of the, the criticisms, if you will, is, yeah. uh, you know, the old tournament coach notion that, you know, he's a guy who, who, Game by game, he changes lineups, he changes ideas based on the opponent instead of establishing something concrete, something consistent to kind of carry you and for your team to be the one to establish their idea game by game by game and have some consistency and for the players to to know exactly what their roles are, what's going on, what their, um, their assignment should be. That's kind of been like the main rap, I feel like, you know, throughout yeah. the, the years of, uh, of Ponovich at the helm. Yeah, two things we came into the season talking about with this team. First was finding a consistent starting 11 that you could depend on on a week-to-week basis. We're now almost halfway through the season or, or halfway through mm-hmm. the season, and we still don't have a consistent 11. We're still talking about the same, you know, what's going on in this position and this position. And two, the other thing we talked about was imposing your will rather than letting... And that's something Nelson Rodriguez has also talked about as well. The, the whole idea behind getting Nico Gaetan was 
instead of worrying about what was going on defensively, we're going to put so much pressure on other teams that they're going to have mm-hmm. to adjust to what we do. Defend by attack. Defend by attack. And they're not imposing their will on a lot of teams. And they're, again, still having to adjust to what other teams are doing. They're not really – they don't have like a week-to-week style that they're depending on and forcing other teams to game plan for. And as a result, I think it it kind of mentally affects you when you just – you don't know if you're actually going to be in the lineup. You show up every week and you're not sure if I make a mistake, am I going to be in the lineup next week or is somebody else going to be in it mm-hmm. instead of me? And I feel like that kind of hurts the confidence side of things. Two, the other thing I'll say that was troubling about this game is to come out on the road and be down 2-0 immediately to a, mm-hmm. to a side you should handle in the first half and it should be over. Yeah, which they were handling you know, within yeah. the first... 10 minutes. Ten minutes. I mean, yeah. the first 10 minutes, it looked like it's going to be 2, 3, 4 nil for the fire yeah. as long as they go in the back of the net. And they didn't. And Panovic also talked about it afterwards uh, in his uh, post game that he's just kind of like diagnosed this team like as we've all seen, you know, a team that, you know, can, can create a lot of chances and they create a lot of offense, can't finish, and then in the first or second uh, attack by the opponent, it's over. Yeah. And then they have to start playing uh, out of desperation. And lo and behold, this is what happened here. And we saw the frustration for Jimmy Halovich. It wasn't just the incident. If you watch the game, you know, he was he was really frustrated. And you saw it in, in you know, in a lot of the players. Um, yeah. Is it, you know, is it just the game? Is it just what happened in St. Louis? Is it, you know, overall what's been going on? We'll find out, but... You know, the next game is June 22nd against uh, Real Salt Lake at home. I think, if anything, the pressure to win that game specifically just increased tenfold. Because how are you going to come back home? And knowing, again, what's going to be awaiting as far as reaction from the fan base and the scrutiny now on this team after this loss. Because now people are going to be looking at, we're going to be looking, I'm going to be looking at how they're going to react. Mm-hmm. And the only way they can do it is by winning, and not just winning, but beating a real Salt Lake side to the tune of a Minnesota or almost a New England if they have to. Something that can erase the stink of this loss and also give you at least a little bit of confidence that, hey, maybe they'll turn around. Maybe they, you know we'll see something there that you can say, okay, go to this, and they can propel themselves past the... the the playoff, the playoff line, which they still haven't been able to. Yeah, yeah there, there's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a must-win game. It's a must-win game, and I think I'm also... The thing I'll be looking for in that game is the changes that we just talked about. What change, What changes, when you say we need to make changes, what specific changes are those? Mm-hmm. Because if you come out with largely the same lineup... Which they probably will will because again, like on paper, like this, this is the best lineup, save for Schweinsteiger, who he'll be, he'll be there. He'll be there. Definitely. Um, We'll see what, you know, we'll see the status of Kapelhoff now because of the injury. And you could, you, you figure you'd be uh, a fullback, the right back. Katai as well, back from international duty. Frankowski back from the international duty. Uh, Calvo will still be out. Most, most likely we'll see how Costa Rica do. Uh, And the left back. Who's going to be the left guy? He's going to be Edwards, who, again, not a left back, really. Um, or Corrales, who's kind of like his natural position, but has struggled uh, 
mightily defensively at times this season. So again, June 22nd is going to be a really important day for this team. And like we mentioned before, the Open Cup, that's nothing. And, and forget about the, uh, what's it called, the, uh, the League's Cup with the Mexican teams. Just don't, don't. Just don't, <laughs> don't even think about it. If they win the trophy, cool, but come on. Uh, so it's playoffs or bust. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, week to week now, and this is the grind of the season that's coming up. This ain't, you know, there, there's no break, really, like this one at least coming up. This is from here on out until October, every single week, we're going to be here talking about this. Playoffs, no playoffs, and that's going to be it. And we'll find out come October how bad this was and how bad it looks uh, come then with yeah. seven out of the 12 teams coming out of, of uh, each conference. No excuse for the yeah. Chicago Fire. Uh, but let's move on. Let's move on to something a little bit more uh, cheerful. We're cheerful, yeah. More auspicious, if you will. Uh, because we do have the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup happening in France. Uh, and a team that uh, uh, had no trouble scoring, a uh, plenty, was the U.S. Women's National Team, of course. 13-0 on Tuesday. Just how ironic, you know, Tuesday afternoon we have this game and then we had the fire... Losing uh, at night to to St. Louis FC, but yes, the World Cup is in full force. We are now uh, in the middle of the second round of first of uh, group stage games. Every team, all the twenty four teams, have had their first outing, so we already kind of have a little bit of an idea of what we're looking at. Especially again for the the uh, U.S. purposes, some of the contenders, what they're looking like, perhaps you know for uh, matchups down the road. Uh, but the U.S., uh, you know, they they were still some questions about this team coming into the tournament despite the fact that you know they they won pretty commandingly their their previous friendlies um one of them the last one against mexico three nothing the defending champions they are with a lot of the same players who got the 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 cup four years ago same coach in jill ellis but there's a lot of questions and they face one of the weakest teams in the tournament in in thailand and guys, I think, and I'll Andrew, start with you. I think they did exactly what they had to do, which was win convincingly. And I don't know if it raised all doubts because, again, consider the opposition, but at least give you a performance that you think, okay, they did what they should have done and they did so in a pretty spectacular way. Yeah, I think the one thing it, it gives them going forward, right, is confidence. And if they're playing with confidence, then that allows them to settle in and play to their their full ability. I think this was a good game for them to start with. Just listening to Alex Morgan, she talked about, you know, there were a couple of players on the squad. Yes, it was mostly the same one back. Mm-hmm. But it, there were a couple first-timers. They all scored, which helped yeah. them settle right into the World Cup. And Definitely. I think I think it, it kind of just allows them to now, you know, you always worry about that first game. How are you going to come into the World Cup? Mm-hmm. Are you fully focused? Are you fully ready to go? They answered every single question, especially in the second half. Yeah, I think I think we should get to, I guess, the controversy, if you will, of the no. scoreline. Uh, yeah. You saw people on social media, uh, on their post-game shows, criticizing the U.S. for scoring 13. Not just for scoring 13, but they kept celebrating, which, in my opinion, I have no problem with that. As Andrew mentioned, some of these players that scored, it was their first World Cup, their first World Cup goal, Go ahead and celebrate it. Yeah. I mean, it would be a bit offensive 
to Thailand, if they took their foot off the gas, treating almost treating them like mm-hmm. a pushover, it's a World Cup. You got to play these games, no matter if the score is ten to nothing, thirteen to nothing. Uh, we've seen kind of some, something similar to this in the men's game, not as lopsided, but if you guys remember the 2014 World Cup between Brazil and Germany, mm-hmm. where I think it was Mats Hummels later revealed that at halftime, I think they were already up five nothing. Um, they kind of decided as a group to take it easy on Brazil. I was personally kind of annoyed with it. I mean, yeah, take it to them. I mean, there are some finalists or a five-time World Cup winner. Play your game. Score. It doesn't matter if you if if they can't defend. You got to score. You got to take advantage of all these opportunities. And I think the scoreline also highlights the fact of the haves and the have-nots, mm-hmm. the federations that support their women's team and those who who don't. And I think yeah. the, the other thing going off of that... Good what, point. Alex Morgan kind of it mm-hmm. said that exact thing. She said, and I, think it's, I think it's true, is one, it's disrespectful to Thailand if you don't play for 90 minutes. On the celebrating side of things, going back to what she said as well, some of these players have dreamed their whole life of getting to the World Cup. This is their chance to now play in the World Cup. You score, go ahead and celebrate. I got no problem with that. You... You work all year. It comes every four years. It doesn't come along that often. You're representing your country. You're doing your country proud. I have no problem with celebrating if you score a goal. Yeah. No, I, I agree completely. Like, are you going to tell, you know, Rose Lavelle not to celebrate? Yeah. Like, her first goal? Or, like, Mal Pugh not to just You can't celebrate because the opponent. It's just like, okay, I think, first of all, because this came from Canadian TV. Uh, you know, the original rap. I think, number one, there's like a little bit of a sour grapes, if you will. There's a big, big rivalry between Canada and the U.S. at this level. I think that was part of it. At the same time, of course, they lit up this this storm. These are grown people. Like, this isn't, you know, your U7 girls team piling on on the you know, poor opponents who are probably like in tears, who don't want to be playing. That's one thing. And I I get it. Like there is a mercy rule at the youth levels. I get it. Sportsmanship. When they're kids, it's fine. When they're adults, you need to take it because you're you're professionals. And you've been there. And like Andrew said, you made it to being a professional. You made it to the highest level. You got to take your losses like a pro, and you got to take your wins like a pro. I have no problem with what happened against Thailand with the celebrating whatsoever. If they made it 15, 17, 20 nil, I would have celebrated just as much yeah. if it was my country. And if, if I'm Thailand, I would have been like, it is what it is. Like, it's the US. It's the one of the best teams in the world, of yeah. course. I have no problem. I just think it's, again, more sour grips from the Canadian side and the analysts who were there. Um, and also, a lot of people in this country arguing for that. I think it's just a cultural problem. Like, again, it's one thing at the youth level when you're a child and you hate losing. It's one something else when you're at the World Cup level and you play to win as much as you can, not just for gold differential, but just but because, again, the satisfaction of winning in the World Cup. Yeah. What's the issue? And I think looking at the gold differentials... Part of it as well. The U.S. also has bigger goals in this World Cup, and they they have goals of getting back to the final, winning 
winning yeah, it all. Yeah, they have to defend the title. They have to Let's defend the title. That, yeah. And Sweden is also going to play Thailand. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know the U.S. are probably going to be favorites in that game, and they should win that game. But say they draw in the last game, it could very well come down to goal differential. Now, who's to say Sweden might not go out and also beat Thailand 10 nothing, 11 nothing? Could, could, which could very well happen. happen. Yeah. And then you've got a situation where the, the U.S. took it easy on Thailand. Sweden didn't look at it that way. And now the U.S. could potentially fall to second in the group just for sportsmanship reasons because they didn't want to pile it on on somebody in the World Cup. I think Come on. you play all out. And yeah. I mean, honestly, if, if it comes down to the last game and it can change the whole tournament if the U.S. Mm-hmm. somehow, you know, we've seen it before, the teams that can bunker down and, and hold for a draw or, or, mm-hmm. or sometimes you're not quite clicking and you settle for a 1-1 draw. Goal differential matters. And it matters in a tournament like this where you have bigger goals and you're playing for something. You're playing for something mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, if you're Chile, like, are you going to hold back? No. Because Chile are going to be like, well, we can get like third place or second place here. If you beat up on, on Thailand the last day and if they can get a result against the U.S. somehow, are you going to tell them no? Because you, 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 can't, you can't pile on, you can't celebrate it. I think it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not a... Uh... Straight comparison, but if you look back at the 92 NBA Dream Team, when mm. they were going overseas and blowing out all these other countries, people were having fun. They weren't complaining that they were outscoring the opponent. Yeah. And again, uh, going back to the haves and the have-nots, if this is a way for other federations to up their support, to invest more in the women's game, then I'm all for it, even if it is a 13 nothing scoreline. Yeah. I think it's just a lesson. It's, it's, for, it's for something for them to go back and learn. And... I mean, I think we, we know that the U.S. women's team is one of the, one of the greats and one of the best. Yeah. For Thailand, it's, it, it's something to say, mm-hmm. okay, we played all out against the U.S. for 90 minutes, and this was, I mean, this was the score, but we can learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is, where, we, this yeah. is where we are right now. This is where we have to get better. Yeah, again, if anything, it's just an indictment on what Ernesto was talking about yeah. and an indictment of just the gap that there is between mm-hmm. the elite and, and pretty much everybody else, if you think about it. And, and if you look at this World Cup, it's just funny because, you know, the U.S., it looks like they came out the best looking of, of, the, of the favorites, if you will, because yeah. Germany, it's, <laughs> they're, they're struggling defensively, especially, and without their best player in Morosian. Uh, Brazil, we saw what happened yesterday in that fantastic game against Australia. Shout out to uh, Sam Kerr, by the way, yeah. um, who was just, Fired up afterwards. Check out her quotes afterwards. Um, France, I mean, France, I think they're probably the second one. And they had a tough battle against Norway, which included that just inexplicable own goal by uh, Wendy Renard. The Dutch, the defending European champions, same thing. They barely got past New Zealand. So for the U.S. to win like this, it's what they had to do, not only to, again, whether it's to quell doubts and you know, how, how much can you take away from a game like this, really, against competition like Thailand? But also, again, when you look at the landscape of the entire World Cup, to establish yourself as the team to beat, as the defending champions, which they are, again, consider the competition, but had they won 3-0, we wouldn't be talking about this in such glowing terms, I can guarantee you that. 
Yeah, and I think the other thing too is when you look at the women's team and what they've they've taken a stand on a lot of issues and a lot of a lot of controversial issues. And listening to Alex Morgan too, they asked her, you know, do you do you almost feel like it's a, a damned if you do and damned if you don't situation? She said it's long past that because whatever they do, if they win thirteen nothing or they, mm-hmm. you know, Megan Rapinoe I saw her yesterday about her not singing the national anthem. Yeah, there's so much criticism on this team that. Mm. Winning thirteen nothing is like the the last thing they're really worried about. They're that's kind of their ninety minutes to just enjoy playing because they've got so much other stuff that they're dealing with on the outside. Yeah, and going into this World Cup, a lot of the issues that were raised um, had to do with uh, gender equality, pay yeah. equality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the the latest Ballon d'Or winner Ada Herberg not going to the World Cup with her national team because of that. Yeah, and it's going. To, uh, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but we mentioned the U.S. and how out of all the teams, they're probably the one that get the most support. But even they're fighting with the Federation. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. There's yeah. a lawsuit still going on between mm-hmm. them and the, the Youth Soccer Federation over over uh, equal oh, pay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the, the women's game is on the rise, but there's still a lot of issues to solve. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and again, if anything, I think, you know, this World Cup is, is a huge step forward. You look at attendance, it's, it's, been, it's been really good. It's been really good in France. Yeah. You look at the quality of game, it's, it's been really good. These games have been, I, I was kind of joking off the air that like, er, I feel like every game in this World Cup, it's been better than the Champions League final, which yeah. is awesome to, you know, to look at. And again, you look at the game yesterday between Brazil and Australia, it was great. And the quality is there. And hopefully, hopefully, and we'll see because, again, we know who we're dealing with here as far as... Uh, governmental organizations and uh, governing bodies, FIFA. How this affects, again, just the overall landscape of the women's game. Uh, Especially, again, when you look at the issues that have been going on now for a while and you look at a team like, for example, Argentina, who almost seeks to exist because of the absolute negligence of the Federation, and we know the mess they are, and now they make it to this World Cup, they get the first point ever against the finalists from last year, or last World Cup, and the World Cup before in Japan, and how great that was. It's like, you need to build off of that. That's exactly what you need to build off of to develop this game, which the argument is always when it comes to, to the pay gap is all marketability, is generate revenue. If you don't put, if you don't put on, effort, yeah. you put forth the effort to make it marketable, then of course you're not going to get back. But it's up to FIFA, it's up to the federations, it's up to the confederations as well. And God knows South America is really far behind. My country is long ways to get to even like any of these teams, really, yeah. when you look at it. So, uh, again, hopefully, for the growth of the sport, this World Cup can generate something afterwards. But for the in the, in the meantime, we'll enjoy the great game. Yeah. The great games. Uh, We'll enjoy again uh, the U.S. who now face Chile uh, on the 16th this uh, this Sunday. Chile also a team that again not much experience put up a good fight against Sweden, made it really difficult for them. They had, Sweden had to pull it out with two goals within the last uh, 10 minutes, including stoppage time, and it, it figures to be a tougher challenge. At the same time, again the U.S. should sure. take care of it. Yeah, uh, we'll see again also what happens uh, with the lineup because we saw also. Red Stars own Julie Ertz play center back uh, in the absence of uh, Becky Sauerbrunn, who had been dealing with a little, a little bit of, a, of an injury. 
precautionary measure by Jill Ellis. Will she be back in the starting lineup? How does that affect the midfield as well? Uh, but again, that game will be uh, Sunday, U.S. against Chile, and then the big one against Sweden to close out the group uh, on the 20th. Uh, anything else on the uh, on no. the women's? No, I think that I think we covered it. Ready to go to the men's side? Uh, the uh, not so pretty. Do we have to? <laughs> yeah. Actually, oh, we I have, have to. I have yeah. about ten other things I wanted to bring up. <laughs> we have. To. I wish. I wish. Kind of Lawrence was here though because his thing was on the news a lot. Talking about Chelsea. Yeah. Um, we'll save it though. I want to get his thoughts. Uh, but no, well, let's get to the other side. We have to get to the other side because the Gold Cup is finally upon us. We've been talking about it now for a while. This is the big test, the first major test for this new U.S. men's national team uh, as they rebuild, of course, uh, with hopes of returning to a World Cup come Qatar 2022. It starts tomorrow, the 15th, uh, an expanded field, 16 teams for the first time in this Gold Cup. Uh, the interesting thing about this on the men's side, and this goes also to Copa America, and kind of applies to, to this past Nations League, it's an awkward time because you're coming off the World Cup. Whether you made it or not, you know, you have four years of a cycle, and a year later now you have to face another tournament. And a lot of these teams, if not all of these teams, are rebuilding in some form or fashion. Of course, the U.S. is in a deep, deep rebuild, complete, almost uh, generational change to the, the entire squad that, of course, uh, couldn't make it to Russia. And here we are now with Greg Berhalter, half a year in charge. We've seen some promising aspects of the games they've played. We've seen also some pretty negative aspects, and we'll get to that now. Because, of course, they enter this tournament, the U.S. do, off of two losses. And two losses that, again, just leave you with, I think, more questions than anything. Uh, also leave you with a 23-man roster that was pretty, pretty criticized uh, on, on social media by fans and by uh, analysts alike. Especially uh, when it comes to the friendlies, Sunday, 3-0 against Venezuela. A Venezuela team that... Uh, I mean, half the squad plays in MLS as it is or has played in MLS. A team that in South America, and South America as tough as it is, you see a, a team like Venezuela, they're not up there, if you will. They're working their way up. They're also in their own project that's been, you know, 8, 12 years in the making. But again, guys, um, a 3-0 loss coming off of a one loss, one nothing loss against Jamaica, Ernesto, uh, a game that just completely imploded, I guess, for the U.S. in the first half. Now we're here, um, just a few days removed from, again, the big first test, the real games. Where are you at with this team? I am really pessimistic with this team. Um, even before Greg Berhalter was appointed uh, permanent manager, we were talking on, on our old podcast how they... Wasted pretty much a year with Dave Sarakin at, at the helm. If if Berhalter was your number one choice, he should have been brought in as soon as Bruce Arena yeah. resigned or was By let way, go. Sorry, not like not to the fault of Dave Sarakin. Like he no, was just, no, yeah, yeah like he was he the placeholder basically. Yeah. yeah, because one of the things we brought up was let's say the friendlies leading up to the Gold Cup went poorly, then you'd have increased pressure on him, and you'd have fans already asking for for him to be fired, which is kind of what we're getting right now. 
it's not even hindsight. We talked about it even way back then that this could happen. And yeah, you look at the game against Venezuela, that center back pairing was really bad. I think it was that, especially that third goal where yeah. I think it was Rondon, mm-hmm. who became what Venezuela's all time leading scorer with that goal. Yeah. yeah. And even in, in that one nothing loss to Jamaica where uh, Berhalt, I think that was the game before they had to cut down the, make their final decisions on the final roster, where he mentioned that he thought that the pressure kind of got to some of these some of his players, which I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how you interpret it, but for a friendly for a Gold Cup, if, if that's if that's the kind of pressure that gets to your players, maybe they don't have the right mentality to be, to be in the national mm-hmm. team. Andrew, overall uh, thoughts yeah. looking at this now. Well, now the pressure is squarely on them because we talked about the Gold, Gu- Gold Cup was the first opportunity when, yes, the friendlies last year, they played a couple good teams, but the eyes were going to squarely be on them coming off the failure at Trinidad and Tobago. That This was the first competitive chance for them to begin to change the narrative surrounding this team. And you come out and you lay an egg in two friendlies Going back to the pressure aspect of it, now the pressure is really on. Mm-hmm. Because if it's if it doesn't go well in this, it's it's not gonna go good. Yeah, and we'll go a little deeper into that game on, on Sunday a little bit later on. Before the game, that's when we found out the final 30 23 man squad yeah. from Greg Berhalter. One big absence because of injury is that of Taylor Adams, who of course will will not be there and is a pretty glaring absence in his place is of course chicago native reggie cannon uh who got the call on his birthday nonetheless let's hear from both greg bearhalter and reggie cannon on this development um you know it's one of those things that you can't control and um we bring reggie and reggie cannon into camp and and we move on you know obviously he's a strong player He's a great talent. We would have loved to have him, but we don't, so we have to move on. Um, my reaction. Oh man, uh, it's uh, it's opportunity of a lifetime. You know that that's football. You know something may happen, and you always have to be on your toes and ready uh, for whatever whatever happens. Uh, you know, it was a kind of a great birthday present because my birthday was yesterday. So getting that call, it was, it was one of the best things that could happen. You know, um, you know I always have to give a shout out to my girlfriend. You know, she had to work on quick time. You know, to celebrate my birthday before I left for who knows a month. You know, so uh, you know I had a great time. You know, but you know this is football and uh, it's one of the best opportunities to be able to represent your nation in something like Gold Cup. You know, it's unfortunate for Tyler, but you know I'm I'm ready to. Start. That's pretty cool, though, like, for Reggie Cannon to, like, talk about it. You can see it in his face. Like, what better birthday gift for him than to make the cut? Uh, of course, given the circumstances, unfortunate of Tyler Adams, who's a, a key player uh, in this squad. Um, but this is these were just short snippets of the video. So if you want to check out the full video, go over to our website, which is chicagotribune.com slash 90 minutes. You can check out the entire uh, videos from Greg Berhalter, who also talks about the Venezuela game, by the way, and talks about deeper uh, the roster. And Reggie Cannon, who also speaks about, uh, again, this new challenge for him uh, making it to the World Cup, his first uh, tournament with the senior national team. The roster, though. Tyler Adams, of course, again, injury. It happens. Berhalter said it. Every team, and we'll get to Mexico in a little bit, has suffered, suffered to an extent from it in this Gold Cup. Um, it's a weird one, this roster. Uh, again, uh, most of the names are not surprising because we've seen them consistently since Greg Berhalter and even before Greg Berhalter 
on you know being the, the the prominent figures of this new generation of the U.S. national team. Uh, but again, I think the one name that kind of uh, stuck in people's crows was Josh Sargent. Uh, Josie Altador made the cut. He got some minutes against Venezuela. Looked pretty good. Still pretty healthy. Jesse Sardis made the cut. Um, I know they, they go kind of go way back with Berhalter in the Columbus days. I don't get it. Uh, Josh Sargent, to me... I think to me is should be ahead of Zardes in the pecking order when it comes to strikers. Uh, it's pretty telling too because there's a lot of injuries and not just to Tyler Adams, but for example, what would have been of a guy like Bobby Wood? And we know again he had a pretty rough season uh, over in Germany, and he he wasn't even uh, called to the 40-man squad because of injury and, and lack of form. Don Dwyer has been part of the cycle before. Um, there's just there's so many names, and I think Josh Sargent, who was kept out of the under-20 World Cup, let's not forget that, not in this tournament either. It's kind of a head-scratcher. Yeah, I think when we talked about Josh Sargent, we talked about if you're not going to play him in the under-20 World Cup, that for sure means he has to make yeah. the U23. And what I don't get with that is when you look at Zardes, by this, by this time we know what he is and we know what he offers. Why not give a guy like Josh Sargent a chance and see if you can improve at that position? Because as we've seen, Yassi Zardes doesn't offer a whole lot. and Especially in the goal scoring front, which is kind of like the whole point that's of the whole point. his role. And yeah. I, I don't know why you wouldn't give a new face a new chance if we're just going to go pick players because we have a relationship with the Columbus crew. I mean, that's... To me, I that's mean, not good enough. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because, again, yeah. you're, it's familiarity. Like, right. w- like we'll trap, you know? Like, of course. Like, he's, right. like, the, the fulcrum of what he used to do at Columbus that brought him to the national team as a coach. Right. I get that. But, again, there's no quality yeah. at level. I don't see it yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird roster. We kind of mentioned this uh, before we uh, came on. It's not, it's not really that young. I mean, you look at some of these ages, I mean... You'd think they'd be hitting the prime of their career careers, but at this point, you know what they are. Uh, mm-hmm. You have some old names here like Anomar Gonzalez, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Bradley, who anytime he's in here is always a topic of conversation. Again, the aforementioned um, Zardes. Really, the only player here who is young and is someone to look forward to is Christian Pulisic. I think that's why the absence of, of Adams uh, also hurts more because in a game against some of these teams who are known to not necessarily play dirty, but concentrate on, on a specific player, all that attention is not going to fall on Pulisic. Mm-hmm. And you also look at some of the other absences like Yedlin and Brooks. Brooks, who they really, really could have used that center back, uh, yeah. especially if you look back at some of those friendly games. Let's talk Pulisic because, of course, he didn't play in this, this last couple of friendlies. He's, he's been around, but, of course, he's coming off of uh, the Bundesliga campaign, a pretty heated one, in which, again, he didn't have really a very auspicious season before now he heads to Chelsea, but but we don't know exactly where he's going to play. And Berhalter's been asked, and we don't really have a clear answer. And, of course, why would he give it, you know, give it away before the first game? But we know uh, we know Pulisic, what he's done at Dortmund, is mostly a winger, playmaker from the wing. We've seen in the past with the U.S. national team him being deployed also as, a, as an attacking midfielder, as a number 10, playing more centrally. 
what do you guys see him fit? Because we have a pretty clear idea of what Berhalter wants out of his team. And there are very specific roles. We know that wingers are pretty wide. Fullbacks, specifically the right one mostly, go centrally and, and is the, the inverted fullback hashtag. Um, we know that, uh, again, the two uh, central midfielders push up to occupy a little bit of a deeper role. Where does Pulisic fit in all of this? How do you see Pulisic kind of uh, maneuvering in a great Berhalter scheme? I see him more centrally and more kind of involved in the offense. I think with him out wide, you run the risk of him at times getting lost in the shuffle. And to me, I want him to kind of be the focus, the distributor, the creator, and the guy that they can really depend on because that used to be a Clint Dempsey and a Landon Donovan. And I think they're still looking for that guy that can be that sort of guy that can possess it in the middle. That's where I see him. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I kind of seem not, uh, similar to that kind of like Messi role where he's yeah. Messi's deployed on the right at Barcelona, but he can pretty much move wherever he wants. I think that's kind of that's kind of the approach they should take with Pulisic as well. Mm-hmm. Play him in that middle, but let him drift wherever he wants because if you, if you want everything going through him and he's your most ta- talented player, you want him to get the ball as, as often as he can. Yeah. Ideally, yes. I, I just I, I think it's it'll be an interesting dynamic because it feels like with this system that Berhalter is trying to implement, there isn't much freedom for really anyone. Uh, and again, part of it might be the abs Pulisic. And in the last couple of games, him not being there, you know, you had very defined roles for the wingers like Paul Riola and Tyler Boyd, who made his debut, uh, and Jonathan Lewis. And again, it's a very established and disciplined system that he's trying to implement. Yeah. Part of that, and I'll, we'll mention this in a little bit, is center backs because that was, I think, the story of this, of this last couple yeah. of games. But I'm really curious to see, and again, if anything, they have the benefit of the first game is, is against Guyana. Uh, so you have a little bit of room to, I guess, experiment, which is, again, it kind of sounds really bad because it's the Gold Cup. Like, you're supposed to be done experimenting already. Uh, but at least, again, get a look for what Pulisic might look like on this lineup too. And along with him, again, how does it fit with a Weston McKinney, who is supposed to be also another one of those guys who can do everything uh, on both sides of the ball, uh, who's going to play up top? And how are they going to mesh, whether it's Sardis or Altador? And we saw Altador play a little bit more of a pivot role against Venezuela and do it pretty well. And he can do it, of course. The big guy, he knows how to play the position pretty well. Who's going to play opposite Pulisic? Is it going to be still Ariola? Is it going to be Jordan Morris? Uh, there's, just so, there's still so many variables. And I think that's kind of the worrisome part because we talked about this at length. You want to get to the, to the Gold Cup with as little questions and doubts and uncertainties as you can and there's still a lot of things left unanswered like Ernesto mentioned at the top of this discussion and we won't find out again until the game happens until the real game start against Guyana uh and then against Trinidad the uh the old ghost <laughs> the rematch on the horizon the big rematch Boy, would century. not be something if that yeah oh man um <laughs> you're talking about ghosts yeah uh definitely uh but let, okay, let's talk center backs because again, I think to me and and I watched uh, the Venezuela game at, at the full ninety minutes. One thing about this team, and we know that Berhalter has that 
remember, this, this goes back again to Columbus. Uh, possession. Possession is the basis for what they do offensively. He likes to have a goalkeeper like Zach Steffen, who he's very familiar with and has all the merits to be the yeah. starter, of course, to play, to be a part of, of, of the, uh, the genesis of the attack. Same thing with the center backs, whether it was Matt Miazga, who got the bulk of the minutes over the two games, along with, um, with his Walker Zimmerman, Omar Gonzalez, the veteran, um, or Aaron Long, who Aaron Long, again, benefit of the doubt, he's, he's coming off an injury. He didn't look 100%. He's not 100% yet. But if anything we saw in this game against Venezuela is the amount of mistakes they made playing at the back. And this goes, by the way, to Will Trapp as well, who's supposed to be, again, the fulcrum of this team, really the, the main, like the Sergio Busquets, basically, of, of this, of this uh, scheme. Just, again, the amount of stakes and just the, the, the trouble that these players had playing clean balls quickly because I think, if anything, Venezuela kind of provided the blueprint for anyone, whether it's Guyana, Trinidad, Jamaica, anyone. You press this team... And you force these players to to hold the ball for too long, and you can get them. Yeah. And you can get them on the counter. You can get it. You can create mistakes. Zach Steffen I threw in there because, of course, the first goal was on him, and a horrendously played ball that he tried to force through the middle, which you just don't do, especially when you have uh, attacking players pressuring you through the middle. And again, we saw the disaster that it was. And I think to me, it's like now the Achilles heel is completely exposed. And I think that's that's the issue because when you look at solutions on the roster at center backs without John Brooks, I don't really know where else you turn. Like this is kind of what you have for this for this gold cup at least. And so to look at your biggest Achilles heel being exposed in a friendly kind of lays the blueprint for the whole tournament. Yeah, because if you look at some of these players, some of the some of the images that they have left on the field goes back to the Trinidad and Tobago game. Omar Gonzalez, he had a poor game that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Brooks is out. Tim Ream is coming off a pretty poor season with Fulham, who were, well, I think they were the worst defense in the Premier League. Yeah, and who figures not even to play center back. If he used to be the starting fullback, we'll get to that as well. So yeah, again, it, it also goes back to, you mentioned uh, how uncomfortable they look in possession. If they're pressured, uh, they get nervous. This goes back again to not appointing Greg Berhalter earlier. Mm-hmm. Now you're seeing all that catch up to you. And it, it, it's unfortunate for him because he hasn't had much time with this roster and he's going to get the bulk of the blame if things go wrong. Yeah. It just, again, it, it, it reinforces that point. It almost like the vision that, whether it's just Ernie Stewart or Ernie Stewart and the rest of the uh, figureheads of the U.S. Soccer Federation, they just didn't have enough foresight and that foresight just looks even even deeper and deeper removed yeah knowing that a coach like break halter again knowing the way he likes to establish his teams knowing again the detail that he, he likes to have as far as the roles for his team and his players that's something you cannot just develop yeah quickly you, you, you it takes a long time for someone like him for a system like his to really get in, in 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 the in the heads and become a habit to these players, players which, by the way, you only have about three or four times a year because it's, it's international duty. So you don't have, you have this much time as it is 
to be with them physically and practice and, and go through through the different uh, training sessions. Yeah, it just makes it, it makes that whole process just look worse and worse and worse. And they're just getting exposed. And again, that's the fear is, are they going to get even more exposed when they face real competition? Which, by the way, these are the teams you're going to face if you want to make it to Qatar. Yeah. Uh, And that's kind of the whole point of this Gold Cup is not just, okay, you know, go there and win it, defend your title that they won in 2017. But also, okay, how how do you really measure up against your, your zones competition? Yeah looking forward to the next World Cup, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the thing is when you look at you had a chance, one, to set a statement and going back to last last year just feels like such a waste because you had all these mm-hmm. games, the, the things we keep talking about, finding a set of back combo, being able to play with possession, being able to play and and deal with pressure because they played some they played some high profile opponents last year over in Europe. That was a great opportunity. Yeah, to they drew the France. Pressure. Yeah, they drew France. In they, France. Yeah. they played England. They they had a chance to really... Lost to Colombia, by the way. They had a chance to deal with that pressure. And it just feels like all the issues that are playing this team right now could have been solved last year. Just like we mentioned with the fire for their upcoming home game, the U.S. not only needs to, to win, mm. but they need to convince. Yeah. 13. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, no, they do. They definitely do. Um the fullbacks. Uh, it's uh, of course again. Adams kind of figured to be the starting right back. Tim Remus is starting left back. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know because I think one of the surprises besides Sargent to me was the absence of Anthony Robinson. Yeah. Who is really, you know, and, and this doesn't say much about the state of the left back position with this U.S. pool. It, I thought was the best option. Again, a guy who's really young still, defensively still has a lot to work on, but offensively, and I think about what we talked about with Pulisic, if Pulisic is a guy who's going to start from the left and work his way in, the whole point of that as well is for a fullback to overlap. And you need a guy who has pace, a guy who can cross the ball effectively to Pulisic, to the striker, to whoever. The best guy to do that, I think, is, is Robinson. And he's nowhere to be found. It's Tim Ream, who's a uh, who's been mainly a, a center back in his career, yeah. and who doesn't really offer that offensively as a left back. And then you love it, who, eh? Yeah, I think you're you're also getting into kind of a troubling spot where you're playing people out of position already, and you're 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 not really establishing any sort of like a consistent eleven or consistent identity. Because people are already uncomfortable. He's having to learn a new position, a new... So he's already learning a new style. Now he's got to learn a new position. And I feel like you had that player on the 40-man roster that could have done exactly what you were looking to do. Mm-hmm. And nobody said he needed to start, but he at least, putting him on the 23-man roster, at least gives you the option to be able yeah. to do that. Is it just me, or the more we break this down, the problems facing the U.S. are the same ones facing the fire? <laughs> Yeah. We're talking about lack That's of true. lack of scoring <laughs> and lack of fullbacks. Yeah, yeah, the fullbacks is, is a key deficiency because we've seen not only in uh, not only on the national side but uh, club football as well the importance of that those those mm-hmm. fullbacks. Yeah, uh, you look at Liverpool, most recent example, mm-hmm. Trent Alexander Arnold and Eddie Robertson, how crucial they were in in reaching that final. Yeah. So Greg Verhalter has his work cut out for him here. 
trying to find trying to trying to find the right combination even if it means taking a Tim Ream and, make, and converting him to a, to a fullback. Yeah. And I think the, the only person that sort of is good news for is DeAndre Yedlin who's also missing this because it, this Gold Cup provided the opportunity for somebody to come up mm-hmm. and claim that and I think it's more left the door open for him to be able to come back and be able to reclaim his spot when he is actually fully healthy. But we'll at that see. point, he needs we'll to stay see. healthy. But I think, I think this team still has a role. If you're not going to go the direction we thought they were going to go, mm-hmm. there's probably still a role for him. I think part of it, too, like when we break down the roster, because I think part of it, a little bit of, I guess, the, 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 the disappointment or the worry is that the last year and a half, you know, we looked at these players, right? The young players, your Adams, your Pulisic, your McKinney's. Um, your Miazga, your Stephens, all of them, Wood, Sargent. And it, that's kind of like what you what you held on to. Like, yeah. that was kind of like the hope. Like, coming off of, again, Trinidad and, you know, doing away with the old guard, if you will, and, and bringing a new, a new generation. And you kind of saw a generation of players whose core is our players who have a pretty bright future yes. in Europe. Again, McKinney. As Schalke, Pulisic, I mean, of course, he's in a league of his own when it comes to the U.S. Tyler Adams, uh, a bunch of them. There's a lot of names. And that's kind of what, what people cleaned on to and say, okay, let's, we're going to get to see these players develop not only for the next four years, but the next eight years as well, and even beyond. Gold Cup, they'll be a year older. They'll have more uh, experience on, you know, under their belt at, on the European, at the top level, the European game. And now you kind of realize that they're still pretty young and they're still pretty pretty raw in a lot of aspects. Uh, and on top of that, the, the veterans you brought in aren't really delivering. Yeah. And that's, that's really worrisome uh, because, you know, Ernesto talked about, you know, Michael Bradley, we know who he is and we know the baggage he has as far as, uh, you know, reputation and especially what happened in Trinidad. We kind of figured he would be a guy you can be like, okay, he's been there. If anything, he's been there for the good, been there for the bad. He can at least provide that. It looks like he's not going to be starting. It looks like Will Trap is the chosen one as far as the uh, central midfield position. Yeah. Again, Omar Gonzalez, we don't really know. Yeah. Like today's Omar Gonzalez, we don't really know who he is and what he can offer. I mean, if, if he can even claim a starting spot, knowing again who you have a center back, it should be a slam dunk for him. Uh, Josie Altidore also has been there for the good and the bad and yet he remains I think the best striker there is and he's still I mean he's, he's 29 so he's, he's in his best years if you will or, or at least he, you know we know who he is if anything he's which is peak and again what do you have here I guess we'll twist I'll, I'll twist it around a little bit just so not to be so negative and I'll post this to you and there might be there might be no answer to this. What is there positive about the U.S. today? Like, what are you looking at? Whether it's a player or just like a development or something that you can look at and say, okay, this is what the U.S. can build up upon in this Gold Cup to have a, a successful run. I think there's two. Um, the first, obviously, is Kristen Pulisic. I think that's always going to be a positive you can take forward. And two. 
it still does look like Greg Berhalter has an idea of what he wants to, this team to look mm-hmm. like, how he wants them to play, a system that he wants them to play with, and something that teams are going to have to adjust to the U.S. when he gets clicking the way he wants to get it. I don't feel like that's something you can yeah. say about mm-hmm. past U.S. teams that I don't think yeah, they, they I don't think mm-hmm. Bruce Arena and others had like a direct vision of how they wanted the team to play the style of players defensively, offensively that they wanted. I think however this goes, those are at least two positives that you can take. I think you also can add uh, the inter- some of the injured pillars in terms of Tyler Adams and John Brooks. You, if, you, if you really want to dig dig deep to find something positive, you can look at the uh, some of the players playing for the under-20. Uh, you have sure. your, your Tim Weah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Conrad De La Fuente, who's... Has, has played well, has done well at, at Barcelona's youth academies. Mm-hmm. So you do have a couple of players there. It's just that at this point, having a handful of players isn't enough. And again, it's just growing pains. You got to go along with it when yeah. you look, when you're going, trying to go so young and you're relying on these young players to be the core. You have to go along for the ride. Again, you have to, yeah. you have to go along with the growing pains of watching these players develop. And it's going to happen. Uh, you just got to be patient. At the same time, again, like, you know, the point Andrew made, you know, the system. It's like a chicken and the egg situation here because, okay, is it the coach and the system or is it the players not adapting to the system? Or is it, it could be both, of course. It just, it, it maybe it's just not a good fit. If it's not a good fit, when is it time? When is it too late? And, we'll, I mean, that'll be answered later. Yeah, we'll, again, the Gold yeah. Cup has to happen and we'll have to see again, again, how they do against legit competition again or at least legit competition in the zone um in real games that are worth something the friendlies you take them for what they are i say you know again people and and we all have national teams we root for and we hang on to to the friendlies to just kind of draw whatever conclusion but friendlies are, are they are what they are it's one thing to play in a friendly where there's nothing besides maybe a roster spot for individual players on the line it's something else when you're in a tournament and you're playing to win and you're playing to win points and you're playing to qualify for next rounds and you're playing for titles. That changes the entire dynamic of games and the mindset of players and the coaches too. We haven't seen that yet. We'll see it now, again, starting tomorrow with all these teams. In the pecking order, as far as uh, favoritism, I, I think there's one team, clear favorite, uh, we can say the U.S. is right behind Mexico. Any like, are we seeing I, like any any, I wouldn't say right any threats like I, under the U.S. Perhaps that you kind of concerned about. I mean, I would say Costa Rica is certainly a threat. Um, I'd put I put Jamaica a bit over yeah. Costa Rica. Costa Rica, Jamaica, I mean, the hipster choice. Costa Rica is still <laughs> kind of rebuilding, and they'll be without uh, <laughs> Kaylor Navas. So yeah. that's a, that's a big effort yes, for them. Sure. But um, yeah, it's. Yeah, I'd, I'd go Jamaica because uh, you look at some of the other teams, Honduras. Yeah. yeah. Eh. Hit or miss with Honduras. Yeah. Canada, I mean, Alfonso Davies, but that's just one player. Right. They got big expectations. I mean, not to win, but I mean, they're expecting like a, a good showing here. It's been a while since Canada was relevant yeah. in CONCACAF. I, I think the one thing that I'm kind of looking forward to in this, in this tournament is once you start to get into it and you talk about playing and learning about mm-hmm. this team, the one thing going back to Trinidad and Tobago that we learned about this team, and this kind of 
concerns me when you hear the pressure comment about that the team kind of, you know, there were a couple of players that struggled with the pressure of the friendlies. Mental toughness is something we talked about with this team. When you looked at the Trinidad and Tobago game, mm-hmm. the excuses coming out of that game about the field and it was oh, wet. And still, it was not, they're still and like happening and to this day. And they're still talking about it. And to me, when I hear, you know, pressure bothered them in a friendly, that to me is a little concerning because you wonder mm-hmm. where like that same mental toughness that was missing that night to get through is if a pressure and a friendly a bothers point. you. Yeah. So to me, that's one thing when I look at this tournament, playing a team like Jamaica, playing a team like Costa Rica, when it starts to kind of get sideways on them or you know maybe they fall down one nothing, that's where I'm really keep my eye on it because that's where you can start to see those early signs mm-hmm. of can you fight back from a deficit or where is this team on that on that front? The Venezuela game wasn't a great start to fall down three mm-hmm. nothing just in terms of letting letting go of the rope. Because I have to because I always have to bring back everything to Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. It kind of reminds me of your point you were making about the pressure and what if things go wrong. It kind of reminds me of the team Barcelona going into that second leg against Liverpool, yeah. where all they kept talking about was Roma mm-hmm. and what happened there. And once it ha- once it started to happen, it seems like that went. It, that's a great point. Yeah. That went yeah. all back into their minds, and that's why. They mm-hmm. pretty much crumbled under that pressure. Yeah, it, it could be one of two. It could be what you guys are talking about, like have they been exposed mentally by Venezuela and Jamaica, or can this serve as a wake up call? Yeah. Because again, there was a lot of uh, a lot of talk, a lot of a lot of a lot of hope, if you will, a lot of uh, projecting. Maybe this was what they needed. Maybe they just needed to come down to earth and yeah. suffer adversity to that degree like they did against Venezuela, to find their way up, yeah. uh, you know, to, to, to find the worst, to figure out your best, basically. Can they do it, though? That's the question. Again, we'll find out. Yeah. Um, they'll be debuting on the 18th, which will be on, uh, on Tuesday against Guyana. Uh, and again, this is the, the first big test. Uh, of course, when we're talking about rivals, Ernesto, is Mexico. This is it. With uh, Tata Martino in charge, a lot of injuries. You want to talk about U.S. injuries? This team, man, like the and uh, in big injuries, a lot of them for Mexico. But still, the uh, the class of the of Concacaf and the favorites to win it all. Are we talking about like you know is is Mexico like is there pressure on Mexico to win this tournament? How is this being viewed from their standpoint? Because again. When we talk about this tournament, how teams approach it, 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 it matters. And especially if we're expecting or on paper, we see a U.S.-Mexico clash here at Soldier Field, by the way, July 7th. How are they coming into this tournament? They're coming into the tournament, even to the friendlies, they were kind of in a similar boat to the U.S., where they were dealing with players missing, a new coach. But the results in the field are the complete opposite of what the U.S. has gone uh, gone through. If you look at some of the players they're missing, they're big-name players. We have Carlos Vela, who chose not to go. Javier Hernandez, who also chose not to go. Uh, Chucky Lozano, who's injured. Hector Herrera, who also chose not to go. Tecatito, who chose not to go. Oh my God. Miguel Ayun, who suffered a... He was like a bout with some sort of cancer that he had to have surgery for. And you have Hector Moreno, who got injured in that last friendly. And yet, they're still able to pull out these wins in these games. In terms of the expectations, it's it's similar to what Andrew mentioned. They're damned if they if they do and damned if they don't. If they win, 
the media in Mexico will be like, of course they won. They, they have to. It's their mm -hmm. Mexico. They have no competition. If they lose, it'll be the sky is falling. Oh my God, how do we lose? Fire Tata Martino. Mm -hmm. I, f I found it a bit funny after the US game where the fans who wanted Berhalter out were lamenting the fact that they couldn't get Tata Martino. And they were bringing up that excuse that um, was kind of given out there as to why Martino didn't get an interview in the first place was that he didn't speak English. So it's kind of weird Oof, seeing, oh kind of weird seeing here that had things gone a little bit differently, Martino could have uh, wound up U.S. coach, and maybe the situation would be reversed with Mexico struggling in the U.S. building to something good. Boy, can they blow up in their face if Mexico end up winning the tournament with the coach that they could have had? And they, yeah. oh man, <laughs> oh, that would be, that would be rough. By the way, yeah, we got Jamaica and Italy playing right now in the Women's World Cup. If you have a chance, uh, check out. The way Jamaica just celebrated saving a penalty is pretty awesome. Jamaica is awesome overall. Um, yeah, no, but absolutely. Uh, it's on Mexico. And if, if anything, pressure, you talk about pressure, is Mexico, Italy just scored. Hence the uh, uh, the noise you heard from uh, our producer over here. Uh, Italy won Jamaica nil. No. Uh, well, there you go. Is your live updates for the... Live up, yeah, live updates here on Stoppage Time from you directly from uh, the, the Women's World Cup. But yes, Mexico has the pressure. Um, and yeah, I would hope that it's going to be the U.S. and Mexico, not only because it's going to be here in Chicago, so we might be there. We'll be there in 90 minutes. We'll be there. Uh, but again, that's the, the toughest competition they can face, the U.S., is Mexico. And Mexico is always going to be the measuring stick. Yeah. And vice versa uh, in, in CONCACAF. That would be the ideal scenario. I think win or lose, if anything, you can say, okay, here's where they are compared to the top of the class. Yep. Can Will they get there, though? We'll see. It's a little dicey. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, again, Group D for the U.S., um, Guyana, Panama, and good old Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, they'll be playing in uh, in Minnesota, which will be really cool. That stadium is badass in, a, in Minnesota. Yeah. Allianz Field. Um also in Cleveland, which is a kind of a random choice, and uh, Kansas City at Children's Mercy Park. Uh, that's the first round. Again, 16 teams, so there's plenty more competition. It is CONCACAF. It is the Wild West. You can expect the unexpected in this uh, CONCACAF Gold Cup. It'll be fun to watch. We'll see. We'll follow along, yeah. of course, here on Stoppage Time every Friday. We'll follow along, of course, on uh, our, our website. Check out your window.com slash 90 minutes on our social media on Twitter at NetMSCT, where we'll have live updates of every game the U.S. men's national team will play yeah. from now on in, um, in the Gold Cup. So if you want to watch along, if you want to follow along with uh, the updates as they happen in the Gold Cup, how this team is faring, check us out at 90 minutes CT. Any final thoughts? Uh, any, any word for the, uh, for the hopefuls? out there that are looking at this tournament with uh, great uh, expectations. Don't judge Greg Berhalter's job status based on what happens in this tournament. I think we have to give him time. Yeah, okay. I've seen, yeah. I've seen articles already saying... There's people you know, already asking for him to, to yeah, be fired. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of people, you know, should we be, be concerned about Greg Berhalter? Is he the right man for the job? He hasn't even been on half a year yet. Give him time to... This mm -hmm. is the first major tournament... We're going to learn a lot about this team, where they are when we get to the, hopefully, you know, get to the knockout <laughs> stage. 
Or I mean, it better. They, yeah, they better get there. Otherwise, okay, we can have a different conversation. My God. But give them a chance to get to the knockout stage, see where this team is, and where they go from here. In terms of positive reinforcements, I have nothing. I mean, <laughs> everyone knows my my stance on international international football. I mean, oh, that's yeah, right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had I've had enough time away from club football where I'm actually excited for uh, all these tournaments to start. I've had fun with the Women's World Cup. Now we got the Gold Cup, Copa America. So, yeah, even though I'm not the biggest fan, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's fun, man. It's just a good time because last year it was always so awkward. Like after the World Cup, you're like. Well, what now? Well, here we are. This is kind of like a pretty close, at least on this side of the world. Uh, and there's the Africa Cup of Nations happening as well. So, I mean, you get literally everything, yeah. every continent. We just had the Nations League uh, in action this summer. So it'll, it'll be really fun. There's going to be games galore to watch. If you like international soccer, Copa America is going to be just a bloodbath of the 12 teams uh, playing it out in Brazil. Uh, of course, I'll be rooting for mine, as I am right now. Will um, Messi get his, his, his trophy? Finally. We saw what happened the last Copa America yeah. with him. You never know. Brazil without Neymar, and that's an entire mess uh, yeah. in itself. Uh, Uruguay, always always ready for battle, always pesky in this type of tournaments. So there's that, of course, the Gold Cup, as we talked about, the U.S. Women's National Team over in France. They got Chile coming up. They got Sweden to close out the group. And uh, we'll talk about those, so we'll, we'll, we'll know where the U.S. Women's National Team stands in their group next time we see you, which will be, uh, of course, next Friday the 21st here live on Facebook. Make sure to give us a, a, a like to get uh, alerts and updates for when the show goes on the air. You can also, of course, check it out always on demand at your convenience. And if you like it on the go, if you like it as a podcast, we have the podcast for you. Of course, uh, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Player FM afterwards. So definitely, uh, if you want to stick with the podcast, we'll have one, by the way, on Monday as well. So we have two editions of Stoppage Time. One Facebook exclusive, one podcast exclusive. So you definitely want to follow and follow us on social media for all the updates on those. Again, on Twitter, at NetAminuteCT. On Facebook, Chicago, Instagram, NetAminuteShy. Uh, and all the news, all the updates, all the reactions, the videos, like the Greg Bearhalter video the Reggie Cannon video, the Chicago Fire stuff on our website, which is chicagotribune.com slash 90 minutes. And really quick, guys, social media. At Andrew Hats, two T's on there. At Ernesto HDZ underscore. For your Cubs takes in Barcelona. Yeah, I need, I need this international <laughs> tournament to <laughs> distract me from transfer signings and rumors. But this is a great Kimball to distract you. Yeah, yeah, that's true, but eh. Matias the lead? The one that's going to get away? Yeah. yeah, looks like it. We'll see. We'll, uh, Eden has to get away to Chelsea. I uh, can't wait to ask Lawrence about this. Uh, maybe he'll so be back. Sorry. So and so is Maurice. Sorry. <laughs> Hopefully he'll be back next Friday so we can yeah. talk about this, of course. Uh, but again, we'll see you next Friday, June 21st, here at 10 o'clock Central Time in the uh, city of Chicago. Make sure to join us. We'll be talking about, again, U.S. Women's National Team as they wrap up their group states. We'll be talking U.S. National Team, the men's, as they uh, start their Gold Cup campaign. We'll have a preview of the Chicago Fire's uh, return outing in MLS on the 22nd against Real Salt Lake. You don't want to miss it. And, of course, any news that happened, the transfer window is heating. It's just heating up. We got the, the first big move with Eden Hazard going to Real Madrid. 
telling you that's just that's just one it could be many many more so we'll have that for you as it happens right here on stoppage time thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you again next time